Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And welcome to everybody who is listening to us. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, Make sure to tell your friends about us and... Tell your enemies, especially your enemies. Make sure to leave us a rating and a review wherever you want to. Um, Make sure to subscribe to us. We are everywhere, including YouTube. And we definitely appreciate any YouTube subscriptions that we can possibly get. Even if you don't listen to us on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube. We would appreciate it. And how much does it charge to subscribe to us on all the available platforms? The very, very, very expensive sum of zero dollars. That's right. Absolutely free. (laughs) So uh, this is very apt to our discussions this month about the death penalty. The outgoing governor... (laughs) of Louisiana, John Bell Edwards, is calling to abolish the death penalty in the state of Louisiana. Yes, and now on the surface, you some would call that soft on crime, but looking at the, the state's ability to actually carry out the death penalty, uh, it, it's rather practical and pragmatic solution. Uh, it's been quite a while since an execution's been carried out. In the state of Louisiana, the last one was 2002. Yes. It's 21 years ago. Right, right. Which would lead some people to to ask, well, why, why even bother having it if your current method of execution is such that no pharmaceutical company wants to sell you the drug? Right. To do it. Right. And this isn't just a problem in Louisiana. This is a problem in many states that have the death penalty. And I also feel the need to point out that most states that still have the death penalty on their books are states that were slave states. Yes. And given the direction of criminal justice and the, 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 his, the early history of police work in this country, uh, that that does that's not really a coincidence. No, it's not. It's a feature, not a bug. Yes. It's a feature, not a bug. So, however, I would not get our hopes up too high as we still have a Republican supermajority in the House and the State Senate. So the bill might not even, I mean, if the bill gets, the, the bill will likely get voted on, but I would not count on those votes to abolish. No, because uh, political opponents will, in this state especially, will say you're soft on crime because you, you voted to abolish a death penalty that doesn't exist in the state of Louisiana anymore in practice. Right. I, I mean, at this at this point in time, the death penalty in Louisiana just might as well be life, life in prison. May as well be life in prison. Yes. But today we are going to be talking about somebody else who was executed by the state of Louisiana. This was somebody else that Sister Helen Prejean offered spiritual guidance to. And 
you know, last week's discussion was pretty awful. And I'm sorry to say that this one's going to be even worse. Right. Awful as in we're talking about someone who is essentially the scum of the earth. No one wants to be around. No one's going to have sympathy for. Yet, officially, the Catholic Church feels that their spiritual needs need to be addressed as well since they're leaving the earth. Right. They, they, they still, the example, the Catholic Church believes that they still have the right to prepare for the afterlife, still have an opportunity to uh, repent in the eyes of God. Right. Well, today's story is about a man named Robert Lee Willie. He was the son of Elizabeth Oldman, and he grew up in Covington, Louisiana, and he had four brothers. In several interviews that he gave, Robert Lee Willie revealed that his life was filled with drugs, alcoholism, and violence. He had a ninth grade education level, and at the age of 16, he started using drugs, and he left home. His father, John, was in and out of the Louisiana State Penitentiary for a number of years. So this is the home life of a person who lived in, you know, rural Louisiana. You had a life that was just fraught with a lot of complications and a lot of awfulness. Okay. Having your, having one of your parents in and out of jail constantly must be very difficult. And, you know, if you have a, a, your, your remaining parent at home is on drugs and is an alcoholic, my goodness. But, you know, a lot of people come from similar situations and they don't all wind up killing people. No, most, many people from the same situation wind up killing themselves slowly, but surely. Or they wind up just becoming a better adult than their parents were. If, if they're able to overcome. Yes, if they're able to everything overcome. Everything that that's, they have going against them. <clears throat> you know, good parenting uh, can prepare a child to face the world. Bad parenting can have the opposite effect. Exactly. <clears throat> the first offense that we know that Robert Lee Willie committed was that on May the 23rd of 1978, Robert and his cousin Perry Wayne Taylor beat and drowned a 19-year-old teenager named Dennis Buford Hemby, and they stole his marijuana. So that was the, the, the first thing that we know of that he did. It's quite violent. You you beat somebody, and then, they, and then you drown them. I mean... Yeah, that, that that that's pretty intense. That that sounds like it, that's likely learned behavior. Yes. So learn probably learned that from the father. About two years after that, though, a young woman named Faith Hathaway was walking home from a farewell party that her friends had held for her. She was eighteen years old, and she was about to enter the United States Army. 
while walking home, two men, Robert Lee Willie and his cousin, saw her while she was walking along the road, and they offered her a ride home. But Faith never got home that night. They drove her to a remote area along Highway 25 in Franklin Parish. They raped her, and then they stabbed her to death. And they left her body in Frick's Cave near the Bogchito River. Faith's family reported her missing, and a quick investigation led to the discovery of the scattered contents of her purse and clothing around the area. The day after the contents of her purse and clothing were found, they returned to see if they could find anything else. And what they found was a note that taunted, you'll never find her. Analysis of the note led to no clear fingerprints, so they could not determine who exactly wrote it. And the body of Faith Hathaway was discovered on June the 4th of 1980. At this point, police had no suspects and little to go on. And what nobody knew was that the two men responsible for this crime, Robert Lee Willie and Jesse Vaccaro, had been arrested in Arkansas for crimes unrelated to the murder of, of Faith Hathaway. Just three days after the murder of Faith Hathaway, Robert Lee Willie and Jesse Vaccaro kidnapped 20-year-old Mark Allen Brewster and his girlfriend, 16-year-old Debbie Cuevas, from Madisonville, Louisiana. The two criminals forced Mark to drive to Alabama, and Willie and Vaccaro repeatedly raped Debbie throughout the kidnapping. In Alabama, Brewster was taken out of the car and tied to a tree. They shot him twice in the head and they slashed his throat before leaving him for dead. Just imagine, imagine that, Ryan. You said that so at such a young age to have anything like that happen to you. The age of 20, the age of 16, these are terrible things that have happened to these young people. Yeah, be murdered by someone who's cold-blooded and, and sadistic. Yes. Apparently. Willie and Vaccaro drove Debbie back to Louisiana. And during the drive, Vaccaro began talking to her. At one point, he said, I sure hope what happened to our last girlfriend doesn't happen to you. And when she asked what happened, Willie told Vaccaro to shut up. But Vaccaro continued detailing what they had done to Faith Hathaway, including where they had left her body. Yeah, that, that's more of that sadistic pleasure that some psychopaths derive, see, sharing their fascination. Except in this instance, there, there's obviously uh, an intimidation factor where there, there's pleasure being taken and terrifying victim mm -hmm. yes they took debbie to the same area that they had taken faith hathaway and they saw an elderly black man and a young boy both of them on foot and they were they had fishing poles and they were near frick's cave the old man smiled and waved and this unnerved robert lee willie he cursed the potential witnesses and said that he ought to run them 
racial slurs over. But instead, he drove on. It is very likely that this chance encounter saved Debbie's life. Because um, Robert Lee Willie and Jesse Vaccaro deliberated. Unfortunately, Willie did rape Debbie again. And then they drove her to the trailer home of, of a third man named Tommy Holden. And at Robert Lee Willie's insistence, um, he, Jesse Vaccaro raped Debbie again. So this is somebody who had enough power over his cohort to get him to do that again. To incriminate him, to incriminate him. Yes. E even, even further. Yes. To keep him quiet. <clears throat> Debbie heard... Robert Lee Willie say that they should lock her in the trunk and set the car on fire. Tommy Holden made sexual advances on Debbie, but she told him that she'd been kidnapped and raped. Tommy panicked. And even though Robert Lee Willie and Jesse Vaccaro had planned to kill Debbie, Tommy Holden talked them into releasing her. Yes, apparently he's not a psycho. He's not psychotic like they are. No. The men agreed to take her home. Even though Robert Lee Billy protested, we're making a big mistake. We're all going to end up in prison over this. They threatened to kill Debbie if she went to the police. And they mm -hmm. released her near a Madisonville area cemetery and sped off. Now, throughout her ordeal, throughout a drive, and when you when you drive from Louisiana to Alabama, you're driving through Mississippi. That's you're, right. You're yeah. driving, okay, like, it, it, it's a lot. You're driving a straight line through the smallest part of Mississippi and the smallest part of Alabama. But, you know, throughout this drive... Debbie had the presence of mind to memorize landmarks and road markers. And she helped the, the police locate Mark. Even though he was critically wounded, he was still alive. He survived. Well, that's, ama that's amazing. He is partially paralyzed from his injuries, but he lived. It's amazing. Yeah. You're very The number of people who survived the secondary crime scene... Is I believe it's uh, like a one percentage. It, it's 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 under ten percent. Right. Okay. Yeah. In the secondary crime scene, where they take you to do what they do what they want to you, knowing that there's no witnesses there. This is the primary crime scene where you're abducted. Uh, they don't have any time to do what they want to you. No. In, unless they do, they do it. it Unless they harm you quickly, which, you know, of course, ideally, you should make them harm you quickly or try to escape, try to fight at the primary crime scene before getting transported to the secondary crime scene, of course, as we have discussed previously. Well, I think it's always a good idea to repeat that advice. 
Yeah, the people can't hear that advice enough. Yeah, and I, I've said this before. Uh, part of police training, okay. Like I remember when I went when I went through the NOPD Reserve Academy. This was repeated, uh, where the instructor was looking at the female recruits. The instructor kept repeatedly saying, "You can't get in the car." You can't get in the car. Would say it over and over again. Right. You know, just, just to you know, drill it, drill it into your head. You know, getting into a car with a, with a kidnapper is a very bad idea. Yes, it's a very bad idea. You know, better to get, better to take a risk of getting harmed in public at the primary crime scene, than to be raped, robbed, and murdered at the secondary crime scene. And on that note, we are going to stop here to take a short break. Tommy Holden, Robert Lee Willie, and Jesse Vaccaro were later captured in Arkansas. Robert Lee Willie and Jesse Vaccaro were returned to Louisiana to stand trial for the murder of Faith Hathaway. And, gee, Brian, do you know why law enforcement found out that they killed Faith Hathaway? It, it's because they bragged to Debbie. Yes. Okay. Yes. And she was the star witness of this trial. Yeah. Those psychopaths were sharing their fascination with someone else, in, inflicting their pleasure, of their, their sadistic, psychotic pleasures on someone else. The FBI agents asked Robert Lee Willie why he had not killed Debbie. He said, when she looked in my eyes, I just saw love. I just couldn't kill her. And this is what he told law enforcement. But his attitude changed during the trial. After Debbie testified against him, he started to make threats towards her. He told a fellow inmate that his ambition was to escape prison and kill her. Uh, so he could cut her into little tiny pieces so that her even her mother would never recognize her. Yeah, th- this is typical of that kind of person. You know, even though they, they were in jail because they were bragging, they were bragging about their horrible, sadistic, murderous pleasures and you know, let the person go who they bragged about this to, uh, they, they were bound to go to jail anyway, eventually. So it it doesn't matter. They, they were headed to jail or the cemetery regardless. Yes. The cemetery, if they would have tried, you know, their, their, their crap on the wrong person. At the Capitol trial for faith Hathaway, Robert Lee Willie tormented the victim's mother and stepfather, Elizabeth and Vernon Harvey, by declaring in court how much he enjoyed raping Faith. It's just horrible. What a, what a horrible thing to say. And what an even more horrible thing to hear if you love somebody that happened to them. Yeah, yeah, it makes you want to visit an inmate and buy them cigarettes if you catch my drift. <laughs> you know, um, you know, put 
a thousand dollars in their uh, inmate bank for commissary uh, in exchange for a certain service to be performed. If you catch my drift, you know, it it C- kind of makes you want to do something like that. It does make you kind of want to do something like that. I agree. The jury convicted Robert Lee Willie of first degree murder, and they sentenced him to death. Newspaper accounts praised young Debbie, and nearly four years after the kidnapping, Robert Lee Willie was put into the electric chair on December the 28th, 1984. Jesse Vaccaro was sentenced to three life sentences without parole, and several years after the trial, Tommy Holden committed suicide by hanging. Yeah, justice served. Now, I always feel like if any uh, true crime media, or podcaster, or YouTuber, etc., it's always important to give a voice to the victims. And the rest of this episode is going to be about Debbie, who survived just a, a nightmare. She says that on the night of the execution, she decided to forgive her rapist for his crimes against herself or only. She says, as much as I thought, as much as I hated the thought of him dying, hating me, I realized it might be just as bad for him to die with me hating him. There was no one to tell but God. Lying there in bed in the dark, I began to pray, Lord, please help me deal with whatever happens tonight. I really do forgive Robert Lee Willie, as best I can anyway. If the execution goes on, please make it fast and painless. I don't want him to suffer anymore. If he dies tonight, help his death heal the Harveys and their pain. Amen. And she said that with that prayer, pronouncing her forgiveness of Robert Lee Willie, she said that she gained an emotional release and a sense of freedom. And said somehow it, it cut her loose from the control that he had over her. Yes. And she said that night she slept. Now, a word on forgiveness. And this was just succinctly explained by her use of forgiveness. Is forgiveness is for the person who is forgiving, not for the person who's being forgiven. Right. Because what you... What you're really doing when you forgive someone is you are letting go of the animosity, the stressful animosity that comes with, you know, resentment, hatred. Right. Because it actually, you know, hatred, resentment, it actually oh, harms it, it, you it more than the person. the dark side. <laughs> it, it it harms you more than the person you you hate or resent, right? You see, so it, it's it's simply best to to move into indifference. Yes, and Debbie herself says that forgiveness is not an event, but it's a process. And she found it easier to forgive Robert Lee Willie than it was to forgive her mother, than to forgive God and herself. <clears throat> she said that I trusted God and I trusted my mom. I thought they would take care of me. Her mom had been out on a date the night that, 
that she was kidnapped and she did not even know that her daughter wasn't home until the next day. So that's a, you know, it's a hard thing. You know, when you believe that your, your, your parents haven't done enough, it's gotta be a hard thing to overcome. It, it takes years, even decades to overcome that. <clears throat> yes. And during the years that Robert Lee Willie sat on death row, Debbie began to drink heavily and she battled depression. And after several drinking blackouts, she joined Alcoholics Anonymous. She earned a degree at LSU and she became a teacher in St. Tammany Parish. In 1991, she married Brad Morris. They have two children. So she was able to make a nice little life for herself. And her forgiveness was what helped her to do that. And Sister Helen Prejean also helped counsel her as well. Helped her get through it. And Sister Helen Prejean's book, Dead Man Walking, was published in 1993. And the movie followed in 1995. And Debbie says that Sister Helen Prejean did something for Robert Lee Willie that I never could have done. She went to him and personally told him about God. She never saw the brutal, disgusting person that I saw. And I didn't see the person that she knew in prison. It's a very important distinction. Yes. And that also helped, that also helped her to move on. But it also goes back to, to that part of the story where throughout that, that horrific drive from Louisiana to Alabama and back where she had the presence of mind to memorize route markers and landmarks. I mean, that, that shows up in this as well to me. She, she probably had a photographic memory. Probably. She helped her out in school too later on. Yeah. It should be noted, though, that unlike the character in the movie, Robert Lee Willie never expressed any remorse for his crimes whatsoever. He did not struggle at all with the concept of apologies or anything. So he was a, he was a terrible person. A true psychopath. Terrible person. So... Dead Man Walking inspired Debbie to write her own book, and it's called Forgiving the Dead Man Walking. And the book carries a message of the hope of forgiveness. During the week of Thanksgiving in 1998, Debbie was signing her book at a New Orleans area bookstore, and a woman approached her, and she waited till nobody else was around to approach Debbie. The woman participated in a church-based correspondence program with prison inmates, and she was a pen pal of Jesse Vaccaro. The woman told her that Vaccaro said that he wanted to send Debbie a letter, and he wanted Debbie's permission to do that. He wanted to know if he could send it through her publisher, and he made it clear that he didn't want any personal information about Debbie. And Debbie agreed. Uh, she and Vaccaro wrote to each other a few times. Jesse Vaccaro asked her for forgiveness. 
and she wound up visiting him in prison. She told him to his face that she forgave him. I mean, you believe that? That that's that Debbie's amazing. No, that that is pretty. That is pretty courageous there. Yeah, yeah Debbie's to, amazing to have the strength to sit across from someone like that, even with uh, you know uh, fracture resistant glass, to tell them that to basically tell them that I have let go of my animosity towards you, my anger towards you. You know, I'm not I'm not going to harbor any more hatred towards you. Right. You know, I'm releasing all of that and move and moving on. Right. But she does stress that forgiveness does not mean that she excuses what they did. Right. That's okay. not that's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is about is about healing and moving on. She said that if Jesse Vaccaro were to ever be up for parole, she would oppose it. And she believes that he's a long shot for rehabilitation. Yeah, you can't rehabilitate a psycho. And she said that the person I knew when he kidnapped me would have never been able to express what he had to me in those letters. And she doesn't believe that this is a, a convict's con game. She says that she has no fear of him anymore. She said that I really do not believe that he has any animosity towards me. And she believes, Debbie believes first and foremost in the value of every person. And it doesn't matter what crimes they have chosen to commit. And in her, in her eyes, the tone of many victims' rights groups is too militant and angry. And she says, what I needed was not for someone else to be angry, but for someone else to say that I, that I was okay that I wasn't doing anything wrong and that I was a still still a good person and that I was still able to be loved. Which is all important. It in is. The process. It is, yes, it is very Revenge important. is not... Revenge is a desire. It's, it is a passion, but it's not part of the healing process, unfortunately. It, it might make you feel better in the moment. But is it going to make you feel better overall? It, it helps with closure, I suppose, but revenge is unfulfilling. Mm. Witnessing an execution is unfulfilling. Mm. No, no one witnesses an execution for the first time and comes away feeling like they expect to feel. Mm. Yeah. You, you can walk away from an execution feeling empty. You know, uh, she also pointed out that Sister Helen Prejean told Robert Lee Willie that you're, you are still a child of God. And she said that no one told her that after she was kidnapped. And she would have liked to have heard that. That, that is an excellent point. Victims should should receive the same attempt at at, at, uh, at understanding 
as the perpetrators do. Yes. Victims should have a chance at rehabilitation, just like the criminals get. Now, Debbie also believes that individual victims should never have the final say in clemency for prisoners. She said that even though she forgives Jesse Vaccaro and she doesn't feel that he's a threat, she doesn't want to say that he's rehabilitated either. And there are still consequences for what he did. Uh, his crime was against all of us in society. And that is why victims should not have the right to decide the punishment. The nature of the crime is important to consider. Uh, there's a difference between being young and stupid and doing irresponsible things and committing cold-blooded crimes. And she's right. There's a huge difference between, you know, being a 16-year-old, maybe you steal your dad's car and you go to the mall and shoplift. Big difference between that and doing what Robert Lee Willie and Rob and, um, and Jesse Vaccaro did in their lifetimes. Yeah, have, now having a bad environment at home, while that is not really the cause, it, it is a factor though. It's a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the psychotic feeling, the, the psychotic nature, the sociopathic nature. That's there, regardless of, of how of your upbringing. It's just whether or not you get empowered to act on sociopathic and psychotic desires. Right. Say, you know, just the same as the uh, during the 1930s in Germany when the SS was recruiting people, when they were looking, they were looking for sociopaths, they were looking for psychotics. And they were empowering them and they were giving uh, them the opportunities to torture and execute prisoners in, you know, these political prison camps, you know. So it, with these psychosis sociopaths, they're, they're always, they're always like that. It's just a question of, is something going to happen to empower them, to encourage them? Right to act on these desires. She says that sometimes it doesn't matter what, what violent criminals did after their crimes. And she said that sometimes they just forfeit their lives, which is true. If you choose your crime, you choose your time. Yes, it's, that's quite true. That's quite true. And the part about their lives still having value I think there is some truth to that, but where their life does have value at that point is behind bars. Mm, okay. Right. As in, they may have some type of interaction with someone else behind bars uh, to where they, they, they influence, whether they intend, intend to or not, they influence another inmate in a positive way. Or, right. you know, show themselves behind bars, whether they intend to or not, as being an example of how you don't want to interact with society. Right. And she says that these, th these are things that she struggles with. And she says that she believes in redemption and forgiveness, but also that our actions have consequences. Yes, your actions have 
earthly consequences and they have spiritual consequences. spiritual consequences as well. She doesn't believe that rehabilitation comes from a system or a program. She says that it has to involve a change of heart. And we can never really know the heart of another person. She said the best guide that we can see is the fruit of what that person bears and the things that they do. It, right, exactly. As, as in, let's say, it, it, the fruit they might bear after they have been punished by the law. She does oppose the death penalty. She rightfully points out that race and wealth often determine who gets punished and who goes free. She says that she would have been more outspoken if Robert Lee Willie's execution were today, and she feels partially responsible for his death. She said that his execution sickens me as much as what he did to Faith Hathaway. Two wrongs don't make a right. And still, there are people she believes who can never repay their debt to society. She said that Robert Lee Willie paid the greatest price that could be paid and it and it did not pay out of the debt that he owed. And she said that's why we need the grace and forgiveness of God. So this is a person who survived a horrific ordeal. She had the presence of mind to be able to lead police back to, to, to her boyfriend she had the presence of mind to realize that she needed help with her alcoholism and with her depression. She has PTSD. She still struggles with these things to this day. And even with her, her journey of, of forgiveness and these uh, statements that, that she's made that I deeply agree with. And she's an incredible person. Yeah, yes, she is. It's, it's a her her resilience, her ability to bounce back, and do more with her life than some people do with their lives who didn't go through anything like what she went through. <clears throat> it it it, tr it truly is amazing. Yes, and. See another aspect of her forgiveness and her prosp and her, you know, her her uh, her, uh, her uh, we're going to take a break, and Brian's going to figure out what he's trying to say. We'll be back with her final thoughts after this, <clears throat> and we are back. And Brian, do you remember her, her perseverance? Her perseverance, yes. Yes, overall, she turned the other cheek. Now, keep in mind, turning the other cheek doesn't mean that uh, you're just simply going to going to take it, okay, from other people. It means you're going to show them you're not going to betray your suffering to the other person. Hmm. That you're going to show strength before those who victimized you. And the better you are to do, uh, you know, to run your life, the more you're able to do in defiance of these psychopaths. 
Um, and I also want is going to give a message to them. Okay. In other words, it, it, it's, it's, it's an example of a situation where you're going to hurt the people who victimized you worse. If you show them that, that you're relatively unharmed afterwards. And I also want to point out that psychopathy doesn't always manifest in people like Robert Lee Willett. Believe it or not, dear listeners, a lot of times it manifests in the form of politicians. They believe that it, or it, is, it is believed by the experts, okay, that many politicians in the country that we live in, the United States of America, that these, because these, because people of a certain mindset seek power. Okay, they they want to crush everybody else, and they want power. So you could see how this how this does apply to people like Robert Lee Willie. He wanted power, okay, and this was or, or that was how he got it. And then you can also see it in um, you know certain politicians. They want power at the cost of everybody else. They want to sow discord. They want you to fight with your neighbors. They want you to um, not go around and see your family because you disagree about things. So, yeah, what Brian just said is that if you can show the people who victimize you that you're moving on with your life, you're going to hurt them more. So... Don't give people like that what they want. Success is the best revenge. And sometimes so, sometimes so is living. Just living, just being alive. Yeah. Is the best revenge. Yeah. Okay. Even though she wasn't trying to get revenge against them. Right. But the system did work as intended. Okay. At you know, in this particular case, the system worked as intended. And it only, now for the victim here, for this victim here, it only worked as intended on her side because of her perseverance. Mm. You see? So, just the same as you have prison for criminals, for the perpetrators, we need to have something for victims. Yes, we need. Well, I do think that blessedly in this day and age, you know, the, the, the internet, right? You know, sometimes the internet can be a terrible place, but there's also places that you can go if you are a victim and if you are seeking out support. There's many things, or I'm sorry, there's many web forums, Facebook groups, all these things that you can go and take a part in. There was nothing like this back then in the, in, in the early 80s. No, there's Alcoholics Anonymous. Right. You know, it's support, support groups. Right. Um, but of course, you know, support groups are something you have to seek out. Well, it's the same thing with an internet forum, right? You have to seek it out. Right. Not like, let's say, when you're in the military, and the military support groups are just inherent in the system. 
you know, you, you work, you work together, you accomplish missions together and you're there for each other, leaning with each other. You have your support, uh, you know, which of course is why veteran support groups are important because yeah, in my humble opinion, like the, the number one cause of suicide for veterans is the, the absence of that support system that was inherited in the military. Mm. You leave the military, that support system's gone. So you have to, you have to seek, you have to seek it out after the military. It's not just going to be there for you like it was in the military. Right. Do you have uh, any more final thoughts? Okay, back on forgiveness. Keep in mind <laughs> that forgiveness is a sign of strength. Yes, okay. yes. Forgiveness, what comes from forgiveness is a desire and uh, to heal, and forgiveness is part of the healing process. Yes. You know, and also, you know, Personally, I find that having a hobby, whatever it might be, maybe you like to paint, maybe you like to pour resin, maybe you want to write, whatever it is, anything. And it doesn't have to be something that you monetize. And this podcast is a hobby for us. Yes, yes, right? we, we, we really enjoy doing this. Yeah, we do enjoy doing this. I, I think this is a great hobby to have. And hey, if that's what moves you, if you want your own podcast, you can do that too. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, having a hobby is something to do. And, and goodness, you know, I've heard some people, uh, people that I know who have horrible depressive moments where they say, sometimes they'll tell me, you know, I stayed alive because I wanted to see this TV show or I wanted to, this movie was coming out and I found a reason to stick around. Yeah. Even if your hobby is watching movies and television shows, it, 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 it can help you. It can help you because you want to look forward to the next episode or you want to look forward to the next chapter of a book you might write. You know, that the or you might want to, like, you might get inspired to create some really beautiful things. You know, I mean, just whatever it is, look forward to it. Because I promise you, you will be missed. Yes. You will be oh, missed yes. if, if, if you do something to yourself or if somebody else does something to yeah, you. Ho that, hobbies can yeah. hobbies can help you get through very traumatic parts of your life. That they can. Or even if it's listening listening to music. Oh, music's a great hobby. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, they say that if you sing, not you don't have to be a professional singer, but just singing can lighten your mood and make you feel better. Yeah, quite true. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, are you uh, are we ready to wrap up for the week? Yes. Okay, everybody. So, we are wrapping up for the week. Make sure that you join us in our, for our next episode where we are going to talk about Sister Helen Prejean. Oh, who, again, I, I know I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. She's a person who has long fascinated me. I just can't fathom who would want to work with people like death row inmates who have done awful things to people. It takes tremendous inner strength and patience to do that. And we are going to learn more about the woman behind 
that tremendous strength and inner patience. Um, you know, and again, you start going down rabbit holes and you realize that this people who who we talk about on this podcast are way more interesting than they seem to be at first glance. Yes. A woman like Sister Mary Prejean. Helen Prejean. Uh, oh, Helen Prejean. Uh, she would have, she, to do what she does, she had to be just as non-judgmental as Jesus. Mm, yes. But we'll get more into that next week, dear listeners. So until then, be safe, be kind. Remember that we're all human beings and don't park next to vans. If it's dark, it's dangerous, and you don't feel safe, don't be there in the first place if something horrible happens to you because you uh, didn't listen to your... Uh, to your spidey sense, then uh, you will never, you may never forgive yourself for the consequences. And if uh, you are speaking to law enforcement in an official capacity and you are not the victim or the witness to a crime, lawyer up. <laughs>